And welcome to another cool episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from hot to not. I'm Adam. And I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. How are we doing, Adam? I'm having a very ice day. How are you? Are you? You know what? <laughs> Icy does it. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's been, it's been a long one and I'm just willing, I'm just ready to kick my feet up and relax. I mean, I could tell you all about the stress and the exhaustion of my day today, how I got yelled at at work and all of these things. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But sometimes you just have to enjoy the ice of life. Adam. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a hail of a time. And I and, see what uh, you did there. That's uh that's snow joke. <laughs> I feel I feel bad making these puns because it 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 is does not escape me that on the Cerebro Iceman uh, episode they they just filled the thing with with uh, ice puns. One, but, um, hold on. One, <laughs> they don't they don't have a Connor doesn't have a copyright on that. Two, I'm the bad boy of X Men podcasting. I should be <laughs> trashing the other shows, not you, Adam. What's going on? I'm not on? trashing anything. I I'm admitting. I, I heard I'm you. Scared. I heard you calling out Connor Goldsmith, and I don't know. <laughs> well, if uh, viewers, uh, viewers, geez, no, we're not. A I'm show. viewing you, and you're viewing me. Uh, yeah, maybe they, that's why they are not seeing us. No, it's it's like seeing through a mirror dimly, really. For them, <laughs> that's not an ice pun. Listeners may uh, be catching on to the fact that this is an Iceman themed episode. I don't know what would have given it away. I I don't know. It's probably the snowflakes coming through the speakers, you know? It's probably the fact that I have a hundred coolest ice puns and jokes 2003 <laughs> pulled up on my computer right now instead of actually doing the show. I'm pretty sure I looked at that exact same Google result earlier today. Oh boy. Freeze things happen. <laughs> Who requested this Iceman show? That's uh, Daniel Borlas. If you want to be like Daniel Borlas, you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf. Reach deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks and toss a couple of coins into our coffers. Uh, Daniel, <coughs> excuse me, Daniel uh, supported at the level where we do an episode based around one of their suggestions. We want to thank Daniel so much uh, for supporting this show and all of the great ComicsXF content. That does exist. Yeah. Uh, Dan, that's pretty cool of you. It is pretty cool. If you want to be cool like Daniel, do the thing I just said. Um, and <laughs> we will talk about a story that you wanted, uh, which is actually going to be the second story today because of spoiler reasons. So instead, we're going to talk about a story Daniel didn't want, but probably won't be shocked that we're talking about. It is Iceman. Volume. This is Iceman Volume 2. Volume two, which is part of the Icon series. You know, We've I done think a the few Icon series was okay. Like as a whole, a good, a good concept. And I like the branding of them saying, look, we know the X-Men can't. Well, I guess the X-Men and oddly enough, the thing can't support <laughs> their own solo book. So we can just uh, 
set it up like this, where we have a branding that says it's a solo book, but we know it's a limited series. Yeah. So as with the other icons books, um, this is 2001, 2001, 2002. Right. Okay. So we're in the Morrison era and, um, this is a four issue mini and it is written by Dan Abnett and, uh, Andy Lanning DNA themselves. And it is drawn for three issues by Carl Keschel Kershaw. And it is drawn by one issue. Unfortunately, by a very early, inexperienced Scotty Young. A Scott Young, in fact. Uh, yes. He's not even an E at that point. It's he's, just, he's Scott. just Scott. This is, the, yes. this is the professional human adult Scott Young, um, <laughs> who, boy. Hadn't peaked. He got better. Oh, I like Scotty it. Young a ton. <laughs> think Scotty's a great cartoonist. Um, but boy, oh, boy. This issue is not it. You know, for a for a four issue mini, you'd you'd think that maybe there'd be enough planning in advance to just be able to keep Carl on all four issues, but yeah, alas. Things happen. Uh things boy. happen. So Bobby oh. oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, can we start by talking about what Bobby Drake wears in this entire thing? Yeah, let's let's give uh, a portrait of 2001 um, Bobby here because he's, you know, his costume consists of some specific fashion items. He's got he's got the it's 2000. So the X-Men all wear jackets like it's the 90s, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which. OK, here's the thing. I don't like that Bobby has an anime swordsman long jacket, <laughs> uh, but in general, the X-Men wearing jackets rules and more of them should do it. Um, yeah, he's, he's rocking a, you know, kind of a spring jacket. Um, he's definitely rocking them cargo khakis. Uh, dude has <laughs> these thick pants. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not wearing a shirt for most of this, which I think is great. Yeah. I mean, Iceman's normally running around in the nude. Uh, he's also he also got, has sunglasses. Yeah. He's got his, his Ray-Bans on. Um, he's got, I also watched the matrix sunglasses. <laughs> So Bobby has has disappeared from the X mansion without really telling anybody where he's going. And um, he's actually headed to Hong Kong because he has received a phone call from a specific X from his past. And uh, Bobby's X's will be part of this episode. But in this particular case, it's just singular. And that is Opal Tanaka has returned into Bobby's life. Adam, do you like Opal Tanaka? Or do you have fought, just have fond memories of issues of X factor that aren't actually that great. All things considered, but are fun and you do enjoy them. I love X factor Opal Tanaka. And I really wish that there had been more time to do more interesting things with her where this character goes after the original Simonson X factor is, um, no good. <laughs> I don't like it. Well, wait, hold on. The samurai or the cyberai that was that was firmly in the Simonson X Factor. Oh no, that's fine with me. I have no issues with cyberai. In fact, uh, you have no issues with cyberai. I have love, like, come on, man. Handful. I have several issues with cyberai. They starting are starting with cyber it's weird. samurai. Okay, listen. I think it's weird that they introduce an Asian character and then in X Men traditionally tradition immediately say also. We got ninja stuff involved. <laughs> I think that not super great. 
Here's I also what it think is. the Cyber Eye are dumb. I like, think the Cyber Eye are basically Will Sportacio wanted to draw some guys in some suits. And that's what again, you get. Listen, at one point, <laughs> Jim Lee wanted to draw a sexy ninja. And then we were stuck with Psylocke for 30 years. Yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> I'm just saying, if uh, Miss Opal Tanaka showed up on Krakoa as a Cyber Eye, I wouldn't be complaining. I think that's pretty rad. I That would be buck wild. <laughs> That's been my Opal Tanaka headcanon pitch for a while. That she Bring, now runs the Cyber Eye? Yes, and that she is a Cyber Eye. But unfortunately here, not as exciting. She is working for the um, Winterbrand Technologies. Really, um, really on the nose here. Uh, yes, Andy. the Winterbrand. And um, Winterbrand... Well, they've been doing some uh, some not so great things, um, including it looks well. It at first it looks like they're they're on the up and up, um, but Bobby is in for a big surprise in the first few pages of this issue. Um, he is learning that he has a son. Yeah, he gets introduced to Robert Tanaka, his child. Bobby doesn't know how to process this all that well. <laughs> I can appreciate that as Bobby has some challenging relationships with father figures. Yes, we all know his about... most healthy father figure relationship is with Charles Xavier. Also questionable, right? I'm uh, just saying that's his healthiest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. So um, they're told that uh, that Robert's son, who's uh, Bobby's son, Robert, uh, is not only his son, but that he has... Uh, you know, genetic defects and that if Bobby is willing to just chill out and hang, Oh, chill out. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> hang out at winter brand for like a year, a couple of years, you know, give up on being an X-Man. Just, just let us genetically experiment on you for a few years. Then they could probably maybe save his kid. Maybe. Then he gets attacked by things. I don't know <laughs> what to call them. They're a little weird. They're little weird gray, gray dudes with, like, biomechanical armor on them, but they just look like they're wearing fetish gear. Um, Not even in a fun way, like Claremont would do it. They are these freaky little green, gray goblins, and Iceman encounters a group of them before he even gets to Winterbrand when he shows up at the Hong Kong airport. Um, but they continue to attack him, and they come in all shapes and sizes. But all of them do kind of appear to be kids. Some of them have tentacles. Some of them have like, you know, some of them are bigger than others, but they're, they're just these creepy little alien kind of things. They're these little, little weird dudes. They're the aug men. They're augmented. They're the aug men, but yeah, they're little kids. They're more like the aug kids. They attack a shanty town that Iceman ends up in meets this guy named faux dog faux dog. Actually, I like I kind of like Fodog's design. I like the fact that you can't see his face when he's wearing the uh, like the Chinese guardian dog kind of helmet. Fodog is Eddie Murphy from Mulan. You know, like that is what he is. He is. <laughs> he is literally the incarnation of a guardian statue outside of a temple, which that's that's who Mushu is. But he's Fodog. And I, I just love his design. He's so much fun. He's an old, he's an old Chinese guy that lives in the shanty town. Has been his protector for years, but hasn't had to do anything 
for a while because no one was messing with it. And now he's just really annoyed to have to do his job. Um, well, he's annoyed because at the end of um, the first issue, Iceman has basically like frozen a huge chunk of this shanty town. And now there's this sort of, I guess he encased himself in this little pocket of energy. Um, the coolest thing about Fodog is that he has the ability to kind of walk through. He can teleport from place to place, but he does so by it's interesting if you follow the Scotty Young issue, he does it by his mark, which is kind of like just a kanji that is on the wall, like a like a I guess kanji is Japanese, but a, you know, a, a, a Chinese character on a, right. on a wall in the fourth issue. Fodog travels by a small statue of the dog. So it kind of depends on the artist's interpretation of the script, but I just love the idea that he's like a graffiti teleporter. That's a, that's a fun idea. It's interesting. I think Fodog, Fodog's a cool concept. I'd like to see, I, I wouldn't be upset if I was reading a comic and somebody wanted to bring back Fodog. Like there's, there is something appealing there that I can't put my finger on in a way that I think a lot of characters that get introduced for a miniseries don't have that kind of energy. Uh, what doesn't have energy is the plot of this because we get the stuff in the first issue about Robert Tanaka and these weird little guys attacking Iceman, and then nothing happens for three issues. Well, and... We do, we do, we alluded to this before, but the third issue is essentially just a very, very green Scott Young, like clearly does not have the talents that he does when he, you know, when he reaches his, his peak. And it's basically just the Augmen chasing Fodog and Iceman for 22 pages. It's not good. So we really, you know, you could kind of just skip to the fourth issue where we learn that the real reason that Iceman has been brought to Hong Kong is because this guy, this doctor that um, runs the Winterbrand Corporation, that runs Winterbrand is working for who, Zach? Um, someone bad. I forget. John Sublime. Oh, yeah, he is. That's right. He's working for John Sublime. So it's a weird he, human thing. I forgot. Again, this is a very boring story so this child that they have convinced is robert's son he's not he's not opal lets him know at the end this wasn't really your kid yeah uh i did a bad thing yeah it's on me yep um and these aug men that uh that this uh company has been experimenting on essentially is sort of a proto version of instead of the human this is a way for humans to literally become mutants. Yeah. It's Hovenovissimo stuff. Yes. Hovenovissimo. It's yep. yeah. It's growing that uh, just with technology and stuff. They need Iceman's mutant ice DNA body thing for science reasons. Sure. Okay. It's all made up nonsense. Iceman saves the day. He leaves. He's mad at Opal. One of the last things she says is Robert wasn't really your kid. And he said, I know, and I still would have stayed. I don't feel like reading this, these four issues, you get a good insight into Bobby Drake as a character. Well, because so much of the time is spent with being chased around by the little critters. 
um, there's not a lot of time for character growth. The, the most emotional scenes happen. There's maybe three of them and it's usually, yeah. it's the beginning, the end. And then I think there's another scene where they're all at Hopel's uh, apartment at one point. But again, it's all in service of, of these like chase and fight scenes. And then that third issue is just really bad. Listen, um, if you're going to do an action comic and I like action comics, one, the action has to be good Two, the art. Like you got to really have strong artists. And I mean, Carl Kershaw and Scotty Young are artists that today I would, if someone said, Hey, here's 20 pages of action from these guys. I'd say, yeah, let's go. Yeah. I also think it's weird that if you're going to do a solo series for a character, like an X-Men character who is nominally a team character, maybe, maybe you should focus on them as an individual instead of putting them as the generic lead in a action comic. It is interesting that Iceman is not explored as a character that much. It's a single beat. It's this idea of Bobby being tricked into thinking that he's a father um, and having to accept responsibility. Right. And, you know, it's it's an interesting character beat. However, it's something that you could see happening in like a single issue as opposed to a four issue miniseries. Would you agree? Yeah. You, you didn't know? need all this. Yeah. Like there's not enough here to really substantiate an entire miniseries. So um, I think Karshall does a pretty good job, honestly. Um, with the script, especially in comparison with that third issue, you miss uh, that consistency. But you're right. You know, it's not like the most dynamic, exciting thing in the, in the planet. Um, but that's I think a lot of it's just not served by by a script that that doesn't offer a lot of depth. It's a bad combination of everything. No one is no one is doing what they should. It's not a not a super story. But you know what? That's that's part of what our our task is Adam. Yeah. We it's, rank stuff from hot yeah, to cold. Rank, best to worst, buddy. All, <laughs> all from top to bottom, every angle you go about it. We have ranked 753 X-Men stories. The best of which being the house of X powers of 10, the hundredth best being X factor one through six. longest night. Uh, the next 200th best being Wolverine and the X-Men, that pregnant brood story. Man, please, can we start talking about some good comics soon? Number 300 <laughs> on our list is Spider-Man Perceptions. Number 400 is Uncanny X-Men Quarantine. Number 500 is the X-Men Operation Zero Tolerance. Number 600 is Magneto War. Number 700 is Phoenix and Song. And number 753 on the road to 800 is Uncanny X-Men The Drake Out. Yeah. Adam, this is not a comic where Iceman is threatened to be reconstituted with Havoc's piss. So <laughs> I do think it's better than the Draco. Here's the thing. That joke is pretty funny, actually. It is really funny. The Draco, yeah. the Draco is terrible. That joke is funny. Chuck. I don't know. If it's, there. it's not funny. It's funny because we can laugh at it that it was published in a in an X-Men comic. Is it funny while I'm reading that story? Absolutely not. It's no, not. because you're in pain while you're reading the story. And you're like, why are you doing <laughs> bits about piss, Chuck Austin? Yeah. I want to say that we are probably towards the bottom of the 500s here. Like this isn't, I don't know if this is as bad as something like the trial of juggernaut. Here's where I'm at. So yeah. at number 496, we have Iceman volume three flying out the first three issues of the Cena grace run, 
which are flawed. Yeah, but that's still way better than this. It is. Uh, we have Iceman Volume 1 at 625, a comic that a lot of people like. I don't, and I don't think you do. I'm mixed on it. It definitely has some fun stuff in it, but I think this is better than that. Okay, so you have The Trial of Juggernaut at 605. I think Trial of Juggernaut's better. Okay, so... 606 is Wolverine Bad Rock. I think Wolverine Bad Rock's better. But I think this is probably better than Apocalypse versus Dracula at 608, no? This is both better than... You just highlighted Poptopia at 611. This is better than than Poptopia. Poptopia. Better, I think better than Apocalypse versus Dracula. Oh, weird thing. You know how I'm a Marvel Snap guy now? Yeah, yeah. It's wild how Apocalypse and Dracula have so much synergy with one another that <laughs> I Do you have did. them in a deck together? I should Absolute, try that. No, abs- I, I'll shit. I'll send you the deck that I have been killing with Ooh. Uh, over the last little bit. Uh, especially with the use of Modoc from the last season, I did break down and buy Modoc. Ah, somebody weak. bought some stuff. I, I bought Modoc and then I bought the Nimrod one three days later because they did it. <laughs> You're twenty bucks in. Game. I'm twenty dollars <laughs> into this game that I have been playing for six months. Still zero dollars in. I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of you. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. But you have to understand, Adam. They had my little pink boy. Yeah, they had my little pink. Nimrod boy, and I'm looking at a picture of Nimrod that Matt Hork drew for me that's sitting up in my office, and I'm like, oh, I do love that boy. If if folks have not played Snap in a while and haven't given it a shot, X-Men fans might be delighted to know that there is currently an X-Men-themed Days of Future Past uh, season on Snap for this month. So, uh, And what I love about it is all the other seasons have seemed to be media tie-ins to something or another. Not this. Uh, I yeah, I guess I guess the Kazar season wasn't really either. But this is just them being like, y'all, we wanted to do an X-Men one. <laughs> yeah, 100%. We got 100%. Master Mold in this. We yep. got Nimrod, Kitty Pride. Nimrod, Kitty Pride. And then Who's they threw in. Um, Who am I what, thinking of? What's her yeah, name what's the... from Deadpool? Um, oh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Negasonic Teenage Warhead from Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, but she's she's designed like she is in the movie. Like she is in the comics nowadays. Yeah, I guess that's true too. Hey, Colin is this Bunn our did new, that. Is this our new 607? Actually, do you like this better than the X-Men Decimation stuff that Milligan did? Um With the really? Leper Queen? Yeah, maybe I do like this better. All right, this could be our 607. Yeah, I think I think look at me arguing this bad story up a notch because <laughs> I don't care for the Leper Queen. This is 607. It's Iceman Volume 2. Fantastic. Uh, I think we have better stories on the horizon here, though, Zach. We're going to go. We absolutely have better story on the horizon. Up the ice slide, you know? That's an incredibly difficult thing to do. (laughs) Have you tried? Ice is so slippery. Um, And it's, you know what else is about ice that they don't really tell you? It melts. Adam? I was going to say it's deadly. Oh. Uh, because we are talking about Astonishing X-Men 62 to 65 uh, by Marjorie Liu and Gabriel Hernandez Volta. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, it doesn't have a title. It's the Dark Iceman story. And it rules is the well, thing. Uh, Walta's here, man. Let's get, let's Gabriel get- Hernandez Volta. I don't know why you're doing a dumb trucker zombie book. With Jeff Lemire, I do understand because Sentinel was actually or really good or sentient was really good. 
But mm, Gabriel Hernandez, Walter's on here. And boy, oh boy, do I love that art. Love Walter. We've talked at length about how much we enjoy Walter's art. Um, can we can we talk about one of the most important things that has nothing to do with Iceman um, that I totally had blanked on? And then I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, that's where they came from. Are this, you talking about Gambit's cats? This is the first appearance of Gambit's cats. <laughs> Great. Love it. <laughs> Marjorie Liu, pretty good. Hey, you know Marjorie Liu wrote an X-Men prose novel at one point? Really? What, I don't know that. What's it called? Um, hold on. I'm trying to remember what the name of the novel is. Uh, oh, yeah. Marjorie Liu wrote an X-Men novel at one point called X-Men Dark Mirror. Ooh. Uh, Jean Grey discovers she's been stripped of her telekinetic powers and is trapped in someone else's body. So are Cyclops, Wolverine, Rogue, and Nightcrawler. Their minds are held hostage within the body of strangers. I would read that. That sounds fun. I honestly... Here's the thing. I'm reading an X-Men novel right now. Well, it's a it's a collection of X-Men short stories. And I, I would rather read a Marjorie Liu uh, novel than that. I'm also reading a book about old trees. The old trees <laughs> book is way more interesting. Man, <laughs> old trees are so weird. You love that foliage, my man. Adam, did you know how old these trees are? They're so old. (laughs) This this novel starts. It's like, okay, yeah, man, trees are so old. So here's how old. So we're going to talk about some old trees. What's the oldest tree in the book? That's the the, book. Not the book itself, obviously. That's that's the uh, that's the thing of the book is talking about different trees that people have said of the oldest tree and what the cultural traditions are and the cultural history are around it. They open the book talking about Gilgamesh. So, you know, we're talking about some old trees. <laughs> wow. Okay. Turns out and I've not read uh, the epic uh, Gilgamesh uh, at all. Uh, it turns out Gilgamesh cutting down a tree is a big part of it. Hmm. Excited, Gilgamesh. I'm excited to hear more well about your tree adventures, Zach. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, Marjorie Lou. Marjorie Lou's great. Yeah. So this is a three issue arc, right? Or four. Four. Issue. Four? four. Four issues. And um, this this is directly after this crew of, of X-Men have gotten back from the age of apocalypse. And uh, yeah, it's back from a event you may be familiar with called extermination. Yes. So, you know, the O five have just gone back in time and Cyclops is back from the dead. Not that extermination. Right. Oh, oh. <laughs> they shouldn't, they shouldn't name two different events. The same thing. Yeah. yeah it was, you know, whatever. This extermination is a crossover between the Greg Pak Extreme X-Men, which was an Exiles book, and uh, the David Latham uh, Age of Apocalypse book, which is the book about William Stryker and his humans in the Age of Apocalypse. They're actually like, mutants suck. Let's kill them. Yep. And you can't argue with them in that book because <laughs> all of these terrible people, you're like, oh, yeah, but Apocalypse is doing hella genocide. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately... Um, this is causing a major, major problem for one, one Iceman here. Uh, um, oh, cause do you know what he uh, got during that adventure? I believe he unfortunately got uh, implanted with like what? An apocalypse seed? A celestial death seed. Yeah. Not great. You remember Adam, you of course remember the dark angel saga. I do. I do. And how they had to get the Celestial Life Seed. I do. To restore Warren. Well, this mm-hmm. is a Death Seed. 
Flip it's the it. opposite of a live seed. Makes and sense. It's what it's what turned Warren into death uh, <laughs> and Gambit into death, which they bring up several times in this. Uh, yeah, because um, the our team here is um, basically Bobby Gambit, Kitty Pride, Warbird, and who Wolverine and Wolverine. Sure, Thor. Uh, also, oh yes, Thor is in this story. Major, Thor, the Major ally, and Thor. So the, the first issue has this great vignette with uh, it's almost like a, an SNL skit. Bobby is Very visited funny. by Polaris, who is so excited to, um, you know, get back together with with Bobby and Bobby's Just like, really reconnect. Yeah. Bobby's like, I didn't call you. Who comes in the door next? Opal Tanaka and Robert Jr. <laughs> Shadowcat is also this is during the this is during the time when. Kitty Pride and Iceman were bearding each other. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but who comes in after Opal Tanaka, Adam? Uh, Annie, Nurse Annie. Annie Gazakanian <laughs> does show up. Her only appearance outside of Chuck Austin. And I'm sitting here like, yes, let's go. I want this mess. And you know who doesn't show up but was pretending to be the wait, wait staff? It's Mystique. It's Mystique because Mystique... Uh, experienced a very not great bath at the beginning of this issue where it did appear that Bobby was the water and was trying to kill her. Iceman's going through a lot. You see him in therapy in a lot of these issues, um, just talking through his challenges. Yes. Uh, And then Iceman goes a little off the rails and does cause uh, an eternal winter. I want to get into this, but just a quick pause on the uh, global climate change apocalypse that occurs in these issues. Um, Mystique does warn everybody. She does show up, give Gambit kittens and be like, just so you know, I'm pointing this gun at your head. So that you realize that Bobby is not right. You got to do something about him. And it's not soon after that. We also get Thor like in a kind of catatonic state Saying Fimbolvater, Fimbolvater, which, what what does that mean here? Uh, end, of the, end of the world, something? No, it's it's like the eternal winter. From yeah, that's mythology. it. That's it. It's not it's not good. the The world is already starting to experience blizzard like conditions, literally everywhere on Earth, and it only escalates. I mean, the number of people that Bobby must kill in this arc is insane it's robert drake is culpable for the destruction of a lot of lives during this weird time men will literally freeze the world instead of going to therapy (laughs) well we think he's going to therapy um he's not he's talking to himself and he can't tell which side's evil he sure is he's having one of these like internal conversations and um so our X-Men are being simultaneously like almost like threatened to die and also rescued by different versions of Iceman. And it's a, it's a whole mess of multiple personalities, like saying they're going to protect these people or they're going to kill these people. And you don't know who to, who to trust and who not to trust. Uh, Eventually the death seed gets taken out of Bobby. They work with dark beast. It's a whole thing. Uh, and Mystique says, 
By the way, I'm Mystique in this story. I got to do a double cross. I don't know why you trusted me. Mystique tries to become evil and they stop her. Uh, But not before uh, Robert Drake does something that is pretty big for him. Uh, He goes and visits his dad and gives his dad one last chance to Mm -hmm. stop sucking so bad. Yep. Mm -hmm. This is a very relatable scene. For any like I think anyone who has parents, whether they are like them or not, they've had challenges with their parents. And I I get Bobby being like, listen, I don't like you. You kind of sucked, but you're still my dad. You want to help me? And his dad being like, no, help me shovel. (laughs) Yeah. To be fair, his dad's blaming him for the snowstorm. Normally, that would be an unreasonable response to things. (laughs) In this case, it's hundred percent. William Drake is in the right. It is warranted. Very narrow. (laughs) That very narrow thing. Bobby is really out of line here. Yes, does give his dad a heart attack. Yeah, a little out of line. Dad also kind of deserves it. I mean, like as much as anyone deserves a heart attack, I get it. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. It's a lot of tension. Um, I think the other thing that is really, really important about this story is that it does seem that Marjorie Lou is very aware that Bobby is gay. There is a specific conversation that he is having with himself as part of this uh, fake psych session where he is telling himself that he wants to be loved he says, I am tired of just being a friend. And the alternate Bobby says, so what do you want? Or can you even answer that question? Can you allow yourself to ask it? And in my brain, I'm like, let's go. Let's just like, I, and you know that there is probably some editorial pushback on, on going any further with this, but it's something that if, if readers want to, dig in a little bit more to Marjorie Liu's work here. Uh, our colleague, Stephanie Burt did write a really great article about this run um, for comics XF a while back. And it's very clear that there are suggestions throughout here that Bobby is on the verge of like, finally fi- making like the important self-discovery. And that's, that's at the core of not just the, the celestial death seed, but th- that's at the core of, the conflict that's going on within himself that's being illustrated by this story. Yeah. Also, just to be 100% clear, Marjorie Liu has said, did I think Iceman was deep in the closet when I was writing his character in Astonishing X-Men? Why, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, she made that tweet. Very funny that I'm now looking at that tweet uh, from 2015, and the the person in the trenches fighting with the homophobes in this is Steve Fox. Oh, okay. Good for Steve. Good job, Steve. Steve Fox sitting there, a real one from the beginning. Long story short, uh, it's good that, like, this is a good story. It's emotional. Like, you feel for Bobby. This is probably more character depth and development than he has gotten almost ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is the most that someone comes to getting to Bobby. Not just from a oh, I should be taken more seriously or I should do more. I should live up to my potential. Like this is dealing with a lot of things and doesn't shy away from making him flawed and like the bad guy in this. I think it's a great story. Love, love Gabriel Hernandez, Walter's art. 
it's scary, it's sketchy, and mm-hmm. uncomfortable, and exactly what you need for this story. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that does not work for me in this is what I mentioned earlier. And that is that at the end of this story, Iceman is just it's allowed to come back. No big deal. He's just looking out a window and Wolverine's disappointed in him. Yeah. That's a weird thing when you do a global genocide. Uh, like you did just uh, it's not a genocide in so much as bro. he wasn't targeting anybody. Bro. Yeah. He, he definitely he killed did. a few people. No, I mean, did you see how much ice was in New York City? Like we're a talking skyscrapers level of ice covering the planet in places a couple of people incidentally passed away who's to say they weren't gonna die at the no way that millions of people did not die as part of this because not only did he cover it was three cold days these huge chunks of ice across the planet right but what is what happens when that melts this is like an insane sped up issue of environmental catastrophe on like a, I think, a day I after think, tomorrow. Situation. I think like, like all times Iceman makes ice and then runs away. You don't think about what happens when it, that's ends. my only issue with the story, but my only issue is no respect for Zelda from the coffee. Go, go. Oh yeah. No Zelda. No Zelda. I know that that would have been a like stretch to be like, also Zelda <laughs> from the sixties is I mean, here. You can only fit five. How many girlfriends are in that scene? Five. A lot. Right. It's Mystique, if, Kitty, If Annie Gazakanian walked in with Zelda. Yeah, that would have been. In- you could have fitted in because that would have given <laughs> both of them the exact same amount of things that happened with Annie Gazakanian in this yeah. story. But I, I agree with you. I love this. And if we were just a podcast that ranked Iceman stories, I think there are some of those latter Cena Grace stories that really get into him and, and, and hit a stride. But this is like the best kind of action adventure Iceman centric story. I think this is my favorite thing from the Marjorie Lou run. I think it's fantastic. I've, okay. I've thought it's been great since I thought it's been great since jump street. Yeah. I think it's fantastic at one Oh six. We have uncanny X-Men early frost. Uh, I think this is better than early frost. I agree. Um, I think this is probably a, this is a top 100. I think this is a top 100. I do. Um, this is pretty good. I'm just looking up the list to see how far I would go. I'm, I'm looking, there's a couple, there's some stuff I like, some stuff that I think, I don't think this, for me, this doesn't get as high as like number 55 is chamber from the icon series. No, it's not as good as that arc with the good speech from all new X-Men. Nope. This is this is not better than Storm and Eliana Magic at seventy one. I, I, I like the art. I'm I'm notoriously not the world's biggest fan of Storm and Eliana Magic. Okay, I, I mean, do think you have Morlocks by Jeff Johns highlighted. Uh-huh. I think this is better than Morlocks. Okay, all right. I don't. That's think at seventy nine right now. This is better than the global economics issue of X Men Volume Five, though. Look at us. We solved it right now with our new seventy nine. Yeah. Um, for folks if who you, maybe missed this, definitely go check it out. I think it's great. Yeah. This is like a real good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got one more Iceman story, but it also has some other stories in it because this is an anthology issue. This is. Uh, it's wild that there's an anthology, uh, but I am here for it. It is Bizarre Adventures 27. 
to modern readers, probably best known as the place where that one weird reprint that was at the end of Uncanny X-Men 600 about Iceman was from? Yeah, so um, if folks did not know about this magazine, um, it was a black and white, large format, and, you know, had a variety of different stories. And this one specifically focuses on three X-Men stories. Yeah, it's not the wildest magazine Marvel ever produced. It's no pizzazz, that's for sure. It is not um, pizzazz magazine, that is for sure. But um, it's not this, even a foom. <laughs> foom was more of a pamphlet, you know. Like you ever see these things going for thousands of dollars and think to yourself, "That's four pages of content. That's a that's a lot. That's a steal." No, I don't. I don't actually look at foom prices on eBay all that much. <laughs> I can't say. Yeah. So I, we have. Three uh, X-Men who are each featured on the cover, uh, Iceman, Phoenix, and Nightcrawler. And the stories are not in that order. Um, It's Phoenix, then Iceman, then Nightcrawler. And uh, these are some weird ones. So one thing about the magazine format, one, you'll notice that it does not have the comic code authority sticker on it. That is true. Doesn't matter for these stories. They could have easily been published under the code. but it doesn't. They also, because of the printing, w- were able to do a lot more detailed work in terms of like inks and washes and things because these were printed as magazines, not as comic pamphlets. So it was a bit higher quality everything. And you notice that in the line work in this. Oh, yeah. In the inking and you mentioned the washes, there is some really good use of halftone. Um, throughout this and you can just tell that a lot of love has gone into every page of this beautiful paul glacy cover that's painted and just Uh great stuff there yeah so the each story is preceded by a, a quick little data log page which i don't think it really needs but it's there anyway it's some sort of file that xavier would have had yeah an an xavier file if you will if you will (laughs) <laughs> uh, so the first the first story we'll get to the Iceman one later yeah we will. the we Iceman will. one's a little slight the first story is by chris claremont and john buscema with Klaus jensen on inks it is sarah gray gene's sister just thinking about gene at her grave it's uh already from the first page just absolutely beautiful art you know um sarah is drawn with this beautiful short you know, cut, uh, haircut and is having this, this memory back to what you think is going to be sort of this idyllic vacation with her sister actually turns into, um, getting kidnapped by a Tuma and a Tuma um, from the, the, from the feature film, uh, black Panther from Wakanda forever. Yes. He is looking for some surface brides, um, who to turn into underwater brides. <laughs> it's a Tuma does a Tuma stuff. We also get a flashback in this, that's actually like an incredibly key thing for Jean Grey. Yes. And it's so weird that this comes from Bizarre Adventures 27 and not X-Men, a book with X-Men on the title. This is the first appearance and first reference to Jean Grey's childhood with Annie Richardson and Annie Richardson's death. And Jean like having psychic blocks put on her and all of these things. Like it all gets explained in here. It's very, like, 
it's a good story. You've seen it in every adaptation of every Jean Grey X-Men thing. Most of them without the Annie Richardson part where she has a best friend who dies and Jean feels her die. And that's why she goes catatonic. Yeah, kind of wild that it actually shows the car. Like it shows Annie bouncing off the car. Like it's kind of, I mean, it's intense. It's a lot of comic. Uh, You then get Professor X training her. Then they go on their vacation. This vacation takes place during the time that Jean thinks the X-Men are dead. So she's hanging out in like Greece or whatever. Mm -hmm. And her sister comes with her. Yeah. So of course. On vacation. Because they're kidnapped. Captured by by Atuma. Atuma. They're both put into skimpy underwater bikinis. And um, then some dolphins help them. And here's the thing about dolphins, Adam. (laughs) I did Google Jean Grey dolphins earlier because I was trying to think how many people have made the connection that I made of between this story and a classic X-Men backup that Chris Claremont for a time had an idea that maybe Jean would be really connected and into dolphins and that it didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Here's the people online who have made this connection. Me, this weird artist that drew Jean Grey in a skimpy Dan Marino jersey. (laughs) And Max Witter from Waiting for the Trade. Uh, <laughs> those are the people. And I am in good company in that group, I feel. Listen, you did share this fan art with me, and uh, it's actually pretty well done. I'm not going to lie. It, it's, you know. it's as much as weirdly horny Jean Grey wearing Dan Marino jersey art can be. And I mean, like, uh, there's some skill behind it. Yeah. no, that, Good for him. Guys getting pretty- paid. Pretty well drawn. He's not asking questions. He's just cashing checks. <laughs> That's right. So Sarah. Uh, yeah. Sarah does finish, you know, having her flashback and, and is. Well, you know, one thing that Sarah does remember in this flashback is she's like, wait, Atuma turned us into fish people. How am I going to breathe above water? And then Jean Grey's like, oh, that's easy. I will sell by cell rewrite your entire bodily DNA DNA so that you're a human again. Sarah. Forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. Wild. Wild amount of work that Gene puts into this. And Claremont just goes into it. Like Claremont is getting that flowery purple prose that he's so well known for all over this thing. It's a, it's a really nice story. Um, the, the, the underwater adventure stuff is, is really goofy and silly, but as all three of these are, they do feel akin to like a classic X-Men backup story. Right. They have that sort of, you know, weird, you know, not like simultaneously unimportant and also like, oh, they also have like very key parts of continuity mixed into them. It's wild. Uh, I like that one. I also like the third story in this, which is a Nightcrawler story. Uh, Hell Bob yeah. and Mary Jo Duffy write it. Uh, Dave Cockrum does the pencils. Yes. <laughs> it's a lead into the Nightcrawler solo series. One hundred percent. I love this. I mean, you know how much we love the Nightcrawler miniseries, and it's great. This is. It, I don't know if they do a trade of that, but they should include this in it because it's in the same spirit. Here's all of the great things that happen in the Nightcrawler story. He tries to go to Poughkeepsie, uh, where he finds out that the Vanisher has been half stuck in dark force due to something with the champions that the book is as uninterested in as we are. <laughs> they don't explain that at all. It doesn't matter. Like, something happened in the champions. You didn't read it. We didn't read it. <laughs> Vanisher stuck in dark force. Got right. it. Good. Yeah. Uh, Nightcrawler does some teleporting. Uh, 
and oops, they go through a weird dimensional change, and they do weird, we're in multiple dimensions, what's going on? Anyway, they end up on an island of Amazonian women who proclaim Nightcrawler as their god. Never, ever happens again in any context. Nightcrawler going to an alternate world and becoming some sort of worshipped man to women. It's so classic Nightcrawler. And yet I'm sitting here like, yeah, good for Kurt. <laughs> well, good for Kurt. The he addition... talks about how much he likes the, the uh, what's it called? Three Musketeers and Errol Flynn movies. He does all the things you want Nightcrawler to do. The addition of the Vanisher and his sort of goofy portrayal, he looks like a caricature, um, is a lot of fun. And of course, the reason that these men are are there and are, are being asked to be their queen, their king, uh, is so they can be fed to some, you know, gigantic monster or something. We, we also greater known as the well at the center of time. Yes. Um, we also get this great cameo um, from... Who is the, the old lady on the television? Sev. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who's like a granny knitting on a on a TV. It's weird. It's real weird. Listen, this is a weird story. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't is. fully know what happens. Here's well, what does happen. Yeah, go they ahead. They teleport back and the Vanisher is naked. Mm-hmm. And he's embarrassed because the X-Men see him naked. Yeah. And then Nightcrawler is like, yeah, I... Uh, don't think I'm going to tell you what just happens and just teleports away. <laughs> great. No notes. Yeah. Now th- what's great about this is that not only do we have Dave Cockrum on pencils, but it is inked um, by Ricardo v- Viamonte and the inks on this are just out of this world. You know, there there's an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous halftone use on, on these pages that there's a great two page spread where Nightcrawler is on one half of the page and Vanisher's on the other of this two-page spread. And all of these alternate versions of them are all around them. Um, some of them are animals. Beautiful. Some of them are women. It's just absolutely gorgeous. So this is not only a fun story, but it's also fun to look at. It really is. Uh, the last story in here is by Mary Jo Duffy and the incomparable George Perez. Iceman is at, what, Darkmouth? Sure. He's at college. He's at no, he's specifically at Dartmouth, but he doesn't go to school at the Ivy Leagues. He's, I guess, still going to school wherever he was going to school in uh, California when he was with the champions. Doesn't matter. I don't know. That's that's more that we've talked about the champions in this episode than this entire podcast has before. Yeah, he does start this story by um, there is a winter carnival going on um, in the park and there are all these superhero ice sculptures and uh, he does begin this story by admiring um, a nice sculpture of Angel. Who happens He's like, to man, be- <laughs> man, Angel's real hot. Anyway, I'm going to go do this adventure. Yeah. Um, did we That's cover it. this when we talked about Uncanny 600? No, I, we, maybe we, we said, over man, it. it was a weird addition that this is in here, right? Yeah. And it, it is not much of a story. Um, George Perez art aside, and, and George's art looks absolutely gorgeous here. Um, hey, look, George Perez drew it. It looks exactly as good as you think that would be. Yeah, um, it looks fantastic. And um, there is a person posing as a professor who stages a robbery of some Hank Pym equipment so that they can go back and later actually steal it. And Iceman stops them. That's it. That's it. 
it's a it's a brief uh story and not a lot happens except george perez gets to draw these beautiful moonlit black and white scenes with snow dotting the page or stars dotting the sky and it just it looks very very pretty iceman wraps up the story by destroying like i guess shooting the thing that's about to explode up into the sky and kind of turns into a little North star situation, not the character, like, you know, like a, a bright like star. The North the star is the concept. Yeah. And the, the story ends with uh Iceman telling a local policeman, you'll be hearing a lot from me now, from now on count on it. And the, the cop saying cocky punk. <laughs> and that's it, it is. It is weird. <laughs> so, for my money, you get two pretty yeah. Okay, so Nightcrawler story is out of this world. I absolutely love it. Um, love it. Jean Grey story is a lot of fun, if only because of the the, the flashback, um, the flashback within the flashback, which is kind of funny, right? It's Sarah mm-hmm. having a flashback about Jean, having a flashback about Jean's youth, um, and then the Iceman story is just kind of pretty to look at, and that's about it. Like, uh, here's the thing. I spent a while trying to track down these issues because I'd never read them and they weren't available online uh-huh. for yep. ever. Yeah. I have now since tracked them down. You didn't I track like this down. I bought it for you. Remember? I believe you. I truly <laughs> don't remember that. Adam, that sounds very ungrateful. I'm a very bad person when it comes to these things. I don't remember who got me things in the past. I found I, two very good, very cheap copies of this at a New York comic con a couple of years ago. And I was like, yo, I got on the horn with you. I was like, you want one? You were like, I guess. So yeah, it ended up. In I feel mailbox. like I would have said absolutely, but yes, <laughs> no, you did. You did. You were, you jumped at the chance. I'm like, Oh yeah, I've been looking for that. I haven't <laughs> y'all. I hadn't been looking that hard. I'm going to be real. It's just like, this isn't hard to find. It just required a bit of effort. And I didn't want to go through the magazine sections of con boxes because guess what? I don't care that much about Conan the Barbarian. That is the toughest thing. Like I, that is my favorite section now to go through is because that's where you find all the weird odds and ends that don't fit in a regular long box. But that's where I found my copy of uh, the first appearance of the new mutants. Yeah. Um, unfortunately that is also where you're going to run into like 100 bajillion copies of Conan, uh, Vampirella, uh, cracked and, and mad magazine. And I'm like, I I don't want to read mad magazine. Um, your, your forties, you don't, you don't read mad magazine in your forties. Anyway, we should try and rank this though. This is, this is an odd bird. It's an odd bird. It's a good bird. It is. Uh, I don't. It's uneven. The Iceman story is just so nothing. It's just, I would never think about this story again, except for I'm, I continue to be confounded that they reprinted it in X Men 600, Uncanny X Men 600, because Uncanny X Men 600 was a big conversation. Like one of the big things that happened in it was a big conversation about Bobby and Bobby about coming out of the closet and doing all this stuff. So you're like, did they print it? Because. At one point, now we can contextualize him saying, man, Angel's just a real specimen as a gay thing. You know, it's such a weird choice. The decision just not reprinted anything. I know they needed to put something in that book to make it a giant sized issue. And I, I don't Did know. They? It was already oversized. In it general. was. It was. There really was no need to include it. But we're not we're not litigating that right now. So we aren't. We've already we've already. This is worse than 600, by the way, as a what? whole. What's that? Oh, is yeah, where's that? Yeah, it's at 
I feel See, good about that because iMagneto's really? iMagneto's at three twenty eight. This is not better than iMagneto. This is not better than Here Comes Tomorrow. Okay, yeah, it's not better than Here Comes Tomorrow. I I think this is definitely not going. Oh, into, this is not in the four hundreds though. No, it's not. At three forty is Marvel Team Up one hundred, the Karma story and the Storm and Black Panther story. This goes above that. Yeah, this is better than that. Uh, is this better or worse than Typhoid's Kiss, a comic that baffles me? Yeah, this is better than that. Um, this better? is not better than Longshot at 323. I don't think this is better than X-Force minus one at 334. Oh, uh, see, I do. I do. I think the artistry, especially in that Nightcrawler story, just like it, it's it's pretty freaking amazing. Here's my pitch. Um, Here's my pitch. Yeah. Above X-Men, the X-Terminated uh-huh. at 332, below germ-free generation from New Mutant or New X-Men. Yeah, that works for me. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that I, uh I don't think I don't think Zach and Lonnie would be upset that we said that this Dave Cockrum, John Buscema, George Perez book is better than a one shot that they wrote. Yeah. Um, if you have never read these and you are, you know, an, an X-Men completist, like definitely check these down. Th- these are absolutely beautiful. I think if we're putting it here, it's more just because the stories are a little slight. Um, yeah. What you need to do is start a podcast, <laughs> make really good friends with the host, have them find a copy of this at a con, send it to you. And then four years later, forget he did that. <laughs> and then you just look like a real jerk on something you that don't. is recorded and sent out to so many people. Dude. Some of which have already built up opinions about you. Oh, stop it. You're fine. You're absolutely fine. That's the farthest thing from the truth. And we both know it, but it's okay. I don't listen. You know, I don't think anybody's going to give you, you know, like the cold shoulder. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to have a nice time without, without them. <laughs> You know, sometimes um, you just might feel a little ice elated, uh, Zach, but that was a good one. I want to stop there. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should stop all of those right here with isolated. That one wasn't on the list. I wasn't expecting it. Listen, that, that was off the dome. I, I thought about, you know, I, I, I was trying to think of some more ice puns, but they all slipped my mind. So um. anyway, we'd like to thank <laughs> Daniel. Great episode. We all had fun with it. All of us are doing our best um, to keep keep the home fires burning, keep doing fun things. Adam, what do you got going on? Uh, folks, Anything worth talking about? Uh, I mean, aside from going to class, uh, follow me on Instagram, adam.rec. And um, I think that's about it. Zach, what do you got going on? Trees. Read a book about old trees. Yeah. yeah. Trees. Go read, that, go read that book. Here's what you need to do. You need to sit in your nice thinking chair, have a book about old trees, Copy of War and Peace you're still getting through. We are deeply into the war. <laughs> so proud and I was of telling you. people, I was telling people, man, I'm really upset about Tachovsky because uh, he spoiled the war in War and Peace for me with that 1812 overture. Just amazing that you're upset at Tchaikovsky for, some, for a book that came out 150 years ago. <laughs> like- Adam, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a very long book. Oh. My copy has over a thousand pages. It's heavy. Zach, I too joined the War and Peace book club, but I gave up just as the Howard. war was beginning. So nope, uh, that was that was just a skirmish, Adam. See, I didn't even get to war; I just got to a skirmish. I got, you got to, to a skirmish, skirmish and then peace. they immediately pivot back <laughs> into so much more peace. Oh, man. Uh, it's great. One day, um, one day, Adam. I'm telling you, 
You should read War and Peace. It's delightful. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, just that is not in that is not something I'm doing right now. I will get to Fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, you won't. But that's fine. Hey, it's there. I I will. Just not right now. <laughs> Adam, no one, no one Zach, will judge you. I'm going to for... stop you for a second. I had a long argument with you earlier this uh, this past week about you watching a three hour movie that you refused to. <laughs> if I refuse to watch the read the book, I'm not even refusing to read the book. I am saying that I will read it at some point when I'm not enrolled in school. <laughs> I think I've got a pretty good excuse right now. <laughs> I mean, listen, fair folks. One thing you don't know about me. Uh, if a movie is over two hours long, I'm sitting here like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to do that. Zach's putting in like 16 hours on an old tree book. And I'm like, you should watch tar. And it's an amazing movie. And he's like, yeah, no, that's just too long. That's too old much. Trees. Of my, that's too much of my day. I can read old tree book. <laughs> I read old tree book this morning after I got my kids ready for school. I read old tree book. During my lunch break, Love it. I'll read old tree book in my chair after recording this podcast and fall asleep. It's very nice. Those are the times I can read old tree book. Do you know how much of tar I would have gotten through? I don't know. Not to the ending. I can tell you that. And all my questions were apparently about the ending of tar. Well, I, I was. I'm not going to spoil the ending of tar for other people. No, but I did there spoil a, it for you. <laughs> that's fine. There is a element of the ending that I literally could not believe was in an Oscar nominated movie. And I had to have it confirmed for me. I think it's amazing and delightful. I will never watch it. It's, it's your loss, Zach. Just as not reading War and Peace is mine. Uh, well, you know, we all we all we all uh, <laughs> make sacrifices in this world. Hey, next week. Yeah. What are we doing next week? We're talking about Legion. You know Legion, right? Oh, yeah. From the X-Men? Uh, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's got the tall hair. Yep. So it's like normal hair is like here-ish. His hair is like here. Yeah. You yep. guys can't see me. My arms are going up. <laughs> this is not but a visual medium. <laughs> Until then, folks. This has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!